Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Now, my friend Keith, the announcer, just mentioned Second John 9. I like to also mention John 8.31 in conjunction with that. A lot of people claim to be Jesus' disciples, but Jesus says there, if ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So you're only a true disciple if you continue in Jesus' word. 32 says, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So only the truth will make us free from sin. But what defines for us what the truth is? Does God just speak to you directly through some feeling or something like that? No. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The way we define truth is by God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. New Testament in particular for this dispensation. But the word of God defines for us what the truth is. It's not what we feel, what's politically correct, how we would like it to be, what we agree with, what will bring in the most people. It's always God's word defines for us what the truth is. He's not going to tell you what parking spot to take at Walmart. No, what he's going to tell you to do in regard to his will is found in the scriptures. It's going to be the same for everybody. He's going to tell everybody without distinction, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He's not going to tell some some lady it's wrong to preach in the church service and some another lady that it's right to preach in the church service. No, he tells everybody it's a shame for women to speak in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 35. The word of God defines for us what the truth is, so it's perfectly fair and equitable because it's the same for everybody. He's not going to tell you, he's not going to say to you, you got to do 100 push-ups to be saved, and I only have to do 10. That wouldn't be fair. <laughs> you get my point? Now, what we've been talking about starting last week is uh, some some instructions of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at, at some things that Jesus said while he was on earth. And the next one I come to is Luke chapter 13, verse 3. It says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, Jesus is teaching uh, that if we want to avoid perishing spiritually, we're going to have to repent. Jesus, God, always requires repentance to be forgiven. First John 1, 9, the Bible says, if, you conf- if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to could repent of our sins. We have to, a Christian has to confess his sins in order to be forgiven. Peter told believers on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So whether you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, or you're already a Christian and you sin, always repentance is going to be required in order to receive forgiveness. You're going to have to make up your mind. You're going to change and quit committing that sin. So God doesn't save you in your sin. He saves you from your sin, the guilt of sin, when you're willing to turn from your sins. Except you repent. Ye shall all likewise perish. That's the way Jesus put it. Luke 13, 3. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22? He said that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of everlasting fire. So, you know, it's wrong to be angry with your brother without a cause. It's not necessarily wrong to get angry, but if you're angry with your brother without just cause, that is wrong. If you call him a fool, that's wrong. 
So I don't call people a fool because Jesus said, whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of everlasting fire. I don't want to be in danger of everlasting fire, so I don't call people a fool. Now, I've heard preachers spend 15 minutes in sermons explaining why it's okay to call somebody a fool. But Jesus said, don't do it. That's good enough for me. Just believe what Jesus said and don't do it. In Matthew 5, 33 through 34, Jesus says this. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. And we can continue on reading, but the, what Jesus is saying is, do not swear. Swear not at all. He's talking about the Old Testament, verse 33. In the Old Testament, if you swore to do something, it was okay to swear, but you better perform unto the Lord your oath. You better not forswear yourself. You better do what you you're going to what you swore you're going to do. But in the New Testament, he says, swear not at all. Now, a lot of preachers won't talk about this, but this means like if you're in a court of law and they said, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? You have to say, no, Jesus says not to swear. Now, they'll let you affirm. You can affirm that you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's fine. But Jesus said, don't swear. And so when you're in a court of law or anywhere else, do not swear. He says, swear not at all. Don't ever say, I swear I'm going to do this. Don't do that. Jesus said not to, very clearly in Matthew 5.34. Now, a lot of people claim to be following Jesus, but they don't really follow Jesus because they swear. I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about swearing you're going to do something, like in a court of law or signing a paper where it says, I swear I'm going to do such and such. You can't do that. Jesus said not to. And then Jesus said in Matthew 5.43 and 44, you have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know what we got to do in the New Testament times? Love your enemies. Now, in some cases in the Old Testament, they could hate their enemy in the sense that if they had a national enemy, they could kill them in war. It, and that God actually authorized them to go and fight and kill people in, in, and basically do military battles and win these battles and win the land of Canaan. But in the New Testament, we can't hate our enemies like that. We can't kill people. We have to love our enemies. You don't hate our enemies. You love your enemies. That's what Jesus said. Now, we might not like that politically, but that's what Jesus said. He said to love your enemies. You can't kill somebody and love him. You can't mistreat somebody and love him. And Jesus said, love not only your neighbor, your relatives, and your friends, but your enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I think here Jesus is basically saying uh, that we're not to sin. Now, now, a lot of times perfect in the New Testament will mean complete. But, but here I think is saying sinless. Jesus is telling us to be sinless. He says pretty much the same thing in 1 John 2, 1. He says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. So what Jesus, God is telling us to do is not to sin, to live perfectly. Now, do any of us live perfectly? No. But if we're trying to live perfectly, if that's our goal, if we understand that's what God expects of us, then whenever we sin, we're going to be disappointed in ourselves and we're going to repent. And as we've seen from Luke 13, 3 and other passages, Acts 2, 38, 1 John 1, 9, we have to repent of our sins in order to be forgiven of them. We're not, we're not going to repent if our goal is only to do five out of ten things right. Because when we do those five, we'll be satisfied. We won't repent. But if our goal is perfection, sinlessness, that you sin not, First John 2, 1, 
then whenever we do sin, and we all do, nobody lives perfectly except Jesus. We all do sin, and when we sin, we're going to be disappointed, we're going to repent, and we're going to get forgiveness because we repented. I think that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 48. We're to try to live sinlessly. That's our goal. Never set your goal at less than doing what God told you to do. Do we ever, do any of us always do what God told us to do, tells us to do? No, none of us live sinlessly, but that's our goal. And then Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 9, well, let me mention the number again. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Matthew 19, 9, Jesus said, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, this passage has come up quite a bit on this program. Many times people will call in and mention, without me even prompting them, the subject of divorce and remarriage. I think it's because divorce is so prevalent in our society, even among people who claim to be believers. The divorce rate, they say, is one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. So people want to know about it. What does the Bible have to say about it? Well, there's at least six or eight or 10 or 12 passages that talk about divorce and remarriage. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, and I'll read it again. Whoever puts away his wife, and the newer translations will say divorces his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So my wife, I've been married to her for 34 years. Carol, if she were to cheat on me sexually, I'd have the right to divorce her. I could remarry, uh, let's, let's say Betty, if, if I wanted to, and God, God would allow that if, if my wife cheats on me. But I, if she doesn't cheat on me, I don't have the right to divorce her for any other reason. Zero other reasons. If I divorce her for any other reason, other than fornication because she cheated on me, and I marry another, let's say I marry Betty, then my marriage to Betty, Jesus calls it adultery. That means every time I sleep with Betty, even though the law, the state of Alabama may say I have a right to sleep with Betty, she's my wife, but God doesn't give me that right. So every time I sleep with her, that new wife, I'm committing adultery, which would mean, of course, if I'm going to repent of that and receive forgiveness, obviously I'm going to have to terminate that marriage. You can't just say I'm sorry for committing adultery, but oh, by the way, I plan to commit adultery. Uh, this weekend with this second wife. No, if you divorce your wife for any reason other than fornication and marry another, you commit adultery. And whoever marries her, which is put away, death commits adultery. So if I divorce Carol, if she marries another, she commits adultery. I'm sorry, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of believers don't like it, but that's what Jesus said. And that's what we're going to have to stand for. Just We're just going to stand right for what that says. Mike from Canada, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi. Mike, you there? Go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm here. I'm just asking what the Feast of Trumpets represents. The Feast of Trumpets represents. I'm, I'm going to have to say I don't know what it represents. Uh, was the, the, There was a Feast of Tabernacles. Was there a Feast of Trumpets in the Old Testament? Yes. Do you have the reference for that? Well, uh, there's two things. Uh, the uh, Jewish, the Jews, uh, they recognize it as Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. But well, is that so I'm not familiar else? with that phrase. 
Mike, I'm not familiar okay. with that phrase, but it's not important. There were seven yearly feasts in the Old Testament. Okay? okay. Those were those were things they had to celebrate. We have our holidays once a year, July 4th, January 1st, December 25th, Labor Day, Memorial Day. They had seven yearly holidays like that. And if the Feast of Trumpets describes one of those, then that then that's fine. That just means that they there was probably, if I remember correctly, there's probably uh at least one day in there they weren't supposed to work. They had seven yearly because they had seven yearly holidays. But I don't really know any more than that, Mike. I'll, I'll admit my ignorance on that, okay? Okay, are you familiar with the decree across Canada? The what across Canada? Decree. D-E-C-R-E-E. It's uh, what's been going on with Canada and the United States where we've been joining both nations together with the decree in uh, Dutch Sheets was putting the spikes in the 50 states in America, and we've been going across Canada, putting the spikes in our province here. Today, celebrating the Feast of Trumpets, we were in Point Neely, which is the most southerly point of Canada attaching to the United States and bringing the two countries together at this very hour. Feast of Trumpets. No, I am not familiar with the decree across across Canada, okay? Not familiar with that. Check it out, brother, and you'll really love it. You'll be able to share the gospel uh, because God is uniting us all together as one nation under God. Okay. Thank you for your call, Mike. Thank you, brother. Now, this could depend upon translations. I, I, I looked up in my computer concordance, Feast of Trumpets or Feast of Trumpet, and did not find anything like that, but I could be typing it in wrong or something like that. But but uh, there were seven yearly feasts. You can read about these in Leviticus 23 in that context. Uh, appreciated the call. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, let me give the number again. 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. If you want to get on the air with your Bible question or comment. Let's move on to the next thing on my list. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, this is before the uh, the day of Pentecost. So the New Testament law had not gone into, gone into effect yet, but this is what we would call preparatory teaching. This is Jesus talking about how we should handle sin. And uh, now, and this is generally would have applied under the Old Testament too, except for the fact they didn't have the church per se. The church did not come into existence until Acts chapter 2. But here, the principle is, look, if a brother sins against you, uh, we're talking about a private sin here. Because what you want to do is you want to go to him and try to get him to correct it. If he's willing to correct it and and repent of it, and then he gets forgiveness, then it, nobody else ever has to know about it other than you and him. Suppose he won't hear you. Suppose he won't repent. Then go again, take with thee one or two more so that you can have two or three witnesses. Try to get him to repent. If he won't repent, then you tell it to the church. Try to get him to repent. 
if he won't repent then, then you let him to be under thee as a heathen man and a publican. And what that's talking about is, well, in the the Jews would treat the heathen, the Gentiles, and wouldn't eat with them and things like that. I don't think that was the right way to treat them necessarily. But Jesus is using that to say, look, that once you withdraw from a Christian, a Christian who's gone off into sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, is saying you should not keep company with him, not even to eat with him. And that's what this is saying in Matthew 18, verse 17. Withdraw from him. You take that social company and that eating with him away. You're trying to get him. It's like giving a child a spanking, except this isn't physical. You're trying to give him a little spanking to try to correct bad behavior. And hopefully he will repent. Jared from Nebraska. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, so at the beginning of the uh, broadcast, uh, you were talking about women uh, speaking in the church and and about how, you know, the, the Bible kind of speaks out about against that or Jesus speaks out against that and says it's a shame for women to speak out of the church. And I was just wondering your thoughts about, you know, people like Joyce, uh, I think it's Ross Myers, I think her name, and, and some of the other more prevalent uh, women that are that are able to – you know, gather large crowds and then be able to speak the word of, of God. I think they're doing a great job out there. But again, the Bible kind of says that's that's not okay. So I just wonder what your thoughts on that work. So I've seen I've, 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 people told me about Joyce Myers, and I've never really, I don't have cable TV, so I've never really seen her on TV. But I went to YouTube and looked and saw sure. some clips of her, and she was preaching to a church. Okay. Yeah. She was preaching to a church. Now, I would not have a problem if Joyce Myers was teaching a ladies' Bible class. And even if there were 200 ladies in the Bible study, that would be okay. But she was preaching at a church service, which is what 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35 is talking about. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Jared, that says three times. Woman is to keep silence in the church, not permitted to speak, shame for women to speak in the church. Now, when is that talking about? Well, verse 23 sets the context. It says, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place. So most, most churches come together on Sunday morning, let's say 9.30 in the morning, for, for what they call Sunday school classes. They're all in different classes. So I wouldn't have during the Sunday school class time, taught a ladies' Bible class. But then they all lead the Sunday school classes or the Bible classes, and they all come together in the church service, all in one place. That's what verse 23 is talking about. If a church allows the woman to teach then, like deliver the sermon, I think she's in violation of this. And I think Joyce Myers is doing that, Jared. Sure. Well, the other yep. question that I have um, is that, you know, and, and then I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that the Bible is very clear on that. And she does a great job. It's hard not to listen to some of her stuff. She does a really good job delivering the message. And me as a Christian listening to that message, am I in viola- am I sitting in violation or anything like that from listening to a woman preaching to the church? Okay. If you were watching that on cable TV by yourself and um, or you just watched it on YouTube, I'm not necessarily going to say that's a sin to listen. But let me say sure. it with this caveat. If Joyce Myers is invited to preach at the congregation where you are, and you go along with it, then I would say you're in, you're in sin for going along with it. Let me read a passage to you and see what you think, Jared. Second John, okay. verse 9 through 11, said, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. 
So that verse is clear. We have to abide in the doctrine of Christ to have God. We really need to abide in the teaching, the doctrine of Christ. Right, Jerry? Yes, sir. 10.11 says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So if we just go along with the woman preaching from the pulpit, go along with it, and don't object to it, then we're bidding that Godspeed and we become a partaker in her evil deeds. Even though you're not, it would be impossible for you to commit the sin of being a woman preacher because you're a man, right, Jared? Yes, sir. But if you go along with it, if you're at a church that allows it, and I'm told 75% of churches across America allow it, if you go along with that, then you are bidding Godspeed to it, you become a partaker in, in their evil deeds. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you clarifying that. Thank you for your call, Jared. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye. Let me mention one other thing. In First Chronicles 13, they were carrying the ark of God on a cart on the back of some oxen. It looked like the oxen stumbled. It looked like the ark's about to fall off. Uzzah touches the ark, keep, steadies it, keeps it from falling. You think he's trying to do something good, but God had said never touch that ark with human hands, so God struck him dead. Here's what I want us to learn from that. It's in the Old Testament, so we don't have to worry about touching the ark today, yes or no. But we learned that if God says not to do something, don't do it even if you think you're doing something good. Now, a lot of the women preachers out there, there may be a few of them preaching for the money or for, or for the attention, but I suspect a lot of them are sincere. But that does not make it right. That's what we learned from First Chronicles 13. Just because you think it's a good thing to do, it might even help the cause of Christ, you might think that. What we learn is if God said not to do it, and he's clearly said women are not to do it, then don't do it. That's, that's, that's what God says about it. Shelby from Alabama, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, well, I just wanted to comment on the uh, uh, thing with uh, Joyce Meyer. Uh, that, that gentleman needs to be very careful of who he listens to because, to, to my way of thinking, she is very much a false teacher. And now uh, she's made some changes here in these last few years. She had a lot of misleading teaching, and I would, I would really caution somebody not okay. to get caught up in her teaching. All right, and the other Shelby. thing I'd like to say is, yes. No, that's good. I'm I'm thinking your caution is very well taken because I've never really listened to Joyce Myers except just to see her on the internet to see that she was preaching in a church service, but I've never really listened to her. But the fact that she she must preach it's okay for a woman to preach from the pulpit because that's what she's doing. So she's at least a false teacher on that point. So well taken point, Shelby. Good point. Go ahead. Well, uh, okay. All right. My other thing is, uh, and and this is, uh, I don't exactly agree with you when she. When you say she's a, I, I don't think she is a preacher in a pulpit. Like she, she might be preaching in a church. Or she might, well, I don't know. If she's not preaching, but might, might as well say it. But she, she is not a pastor of a church. So if she's speaking at a church and it's their full congregation, um, it, it, it's not that she's preaching, is per se. But that's just she's just speaking to them, you know. And so I guess I'm splitting hairs a little bit. I don't see the difference in her going in there, and even though I don't agree with her, but I don't see a difference in someone just speaking to a congregation. You may as well, if you crowd everybody into a Sunday school room, then you're speaking to them too. So I don't really see the difference in that. And furthermore, I don't see the difference in him listening to her on the radio. That's if, if, if it's just the location thing. There's no difference if he's listening to her podcast or sitting in okay. her in, in the in the congregation. He's still listening okay. to her. Um, thank you for thank you for your call, Shelby. Yeah, okay, thank welcome. you for your call, Shelby.
And so the reason there's a difference in the Sunday school classroom, the Bible class period, and the church service is because God makes that distinction. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 23, the time it's wrong for the woman to speak is when the whole church comes together into one place. So God does that make that distinction. So she can teach a ladies' Bible class. Uh, uh, that's, there's no problem with that. But as long as she doesn't teach over a man, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, as long as she doesn't speak in the church assembly when the whole church has come together in one place, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. But Shelby's right. I'm sure there's a lot of things that Joyce Meyer is teaching that's wrong. I suspect, though I don't know this because I haven't heard her, she probably teaches salvation by faith only and things like that, the same thing that most preachers like her preach, and that's all false teaching. Look, if you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. 256-682-9753. Call or text me for a free home Bible study by the phone. Thank you for the good calls tonight. Be sure and listen next week at the same time.